Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Welcome to the 23rd episode of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And we are going to discuss South Carolina in this episode. The history beginning to end. No, I'm just kidding. Yep, all of it. (laughs) Sit back. (laughs) So I have the true crime and Bethy, you have the paranormal, which means you also have the drink. Yes. Okay, so I was really excited about this drink. Nothing in this drink is from South Carolina. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But. You just were excited about the drink and you just wanted to make it sometime. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I love this drink, so I'm going to make it. (laughs) No. It's a very Southern cocktail. Okay. When we were in the Carolinas for the three years we lived there, I don't think there's a day went by that I was never offered a sweet tea. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Down South. So. I grabbed some Burnett's Sweet Tea Vodka. If you guys have not had this, literally tastes just like sweet tea, but it's vodka. Wow. I've never had it. So, And I decided, well, we can't just sit here and drink this straight. I mean, we can, but I don't know (laughs) what's going to happen. I don't know what this would sound like at the end of it. So I decided to mix some lemonade in it and make it an Arnold Palmer. All right. So I guess I can tell you how you make it. It's probably half and half of lemonade and uh, the Burnett's Sweet Tea Vodka. Well, and there's other brands. Half the bottle. Yes, so. I did use half the bottle of the Sweet Tea Vodka. There's other brands, but um, I think this one was even on the cheaper end. I think it was like seven bucks All right. for this bottle, but it's so good, even just by itself. All right, Mama. Cheers. Let me know what you think of it. Cheers. Holy smokes, that's good. I know. You don't think you're drinking alcohol. It literally tastes like sweet tea and lemonade. That is troublesome. (laughs) That's so great. And it's really easy to make. That's so easy to make. It's two things. But like I said, even if you just want to put the sweet tea vodka on ice, nothing wrong with that. I know. I don't think there's really any alcohol in that. Um, well, it's 60 proof. And uh, like I said, it's half and half in that pitcher upstairs. <laughs> All right. All right. So I'm going to shoot this down because I know your story is a tad dark this week. It is. I knew nothing about this person until you suggested me to do it. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Okay. That sounds good. This guy bothered me a lot, uh, more so than Dahmer even. Oh. And I will have to be honest with you, I left a lot of grisly detail out because it was so mind troublesome to me. About like the specifics of what he did to his victims? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Um, Okay. I also have to admit to you that there are so many different stories about him. He actually dictated 
to or told a story to an author. So he has a book, you know, about him. Mm -hmm. But even in the book, it contradicts some factual things. Ah, okay. So it's like, did he have a bad childhood or didn't he? Okay. You know, was he married this many times or was he married this many times? Did he really? You know, so um, there's a lot of conflicting things okay so i'm doing my best to report to you but <laughs> some of this and you know how we are we really try to be factual. as factual as yes. we can yes so that's why i'm i guess clarifying that right now not everything may be fact okay so i'm doing mine on donald henry gaskins mm-hmm. if that doesn't ring a bell perhaps ring, ringing any bells the name peewee does Donald Gaskins was born in 1933 to an unwed mother in rural South Carolina. Because of his very, very small size, he was nicknamed Pee-wee. Also because of his size, he was physically abused and bullied, not only by children, but also by his mother's boyfriends Mm. that filtered through the home and his life. We are joined tonight by a lovely thunderstorm outside, so... That's what you, if you hear some rattling in the background. It's not sound effects from Ben no. from us. <laughs> and this storm will add to the creepiness of our story. Yeah. Great. <laughs> so Gaskins, Pee-wee, was neglected by his alcoholic mother growing up. So much so that he did not even know his name was Donald Gaskins until he heard his name called in court when he was 13. Oh, my God! He always thought it was Pee-wee. Wow. Donald was not a good student and was often name-called, bullied, and beat up by the other kids at school. Mm. And then the teachers were no help either. They often blamed him for the fights with the other children. He was very poor growing up. Maybe that had something to do with it. Oh, I, I don't shucks. know, but teachers were awful to him, too. When he was 11, he had had it with all the abuse and he quit school at 11 but he didn't tell anyone instead of going to school he would hang out in the woods all day and act like he had gone to school sort of like list list took the train (laughs) took the train and hung out downtown yeah i was thinking that golly uh donald's mother eventually married when he was 10 years old and had more children two brothers and two sisters donald's stepfather was extremely strict and controlling, and mean, and would often give Donald severe beatings. At 12 years old, Donald started working as a mechanic at a local garage. He was indeed very good at this, and in fact was known around town as the fix-it guy. People would bring toys and fans and other appliances. No problem. He could fix it. Unfortunately, found his little niche. So it was kind of a gift that he had. Unfortunately, it was at the garage that Donald met two other boys about his age, Danny and Marsh. They were also dropouts, and the three named themselves the Trouble Trio. Oh, perfect. And for good reason. Perfect. The trio committed a variety of violent crimes, and by the time Donald was 13, 13, he had already robbed a gas station, stripped cars for cash, slept with prostitutes, and participated in the gang rape of Danny's 13-year-old sister. Oh, my 
gosh. He was severely beaten by his stepfather when caught, but not turned in. Oh, gosh. And then it thundered. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but af- after they were caught with the gang rape, the parents split up the trio. And one of one of the boys moved out of town. So they weren't cool. allowed to hang out anymore. Donald was on his own, but this didn't stop him. Okay. My favorite words coming up. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> As he was... Burglarizing. <laughs> I was like, oh no, what's this what's this word gonna be? There it is. A Burglary. House, <laughs> a house one night. He was surprised by the homeowner. He hit her over the head with an axe. Did not kill her. Here's an axe. We always have an axe in every story, guys. <laughs> there it is. Take a drink. We found it. He was sentenced to reform school. Now, I have to mention here, I have a friend, Karen, who listens, and she just got the biggest kick out of me trying to say burglary. (laughs) (laughs) And she had to call it to my attention. She goes, I just laugh out loud every time that word comes around for you guys. The word sucks. (laughs) We need a new word. Shout out to you, Karen. Thanks a lot. (laughs) All right. Reform school certainly did not reform Donald. He found himself at the bottom of the totem pole, and because of his size, that didn't help. He was gang-raped and owned by the head boy. Oh, God. Because of his size, he peaked out at, get this, peaked out. Like, you know, he grew into 5'4 and 130 pounds. Oh, my God. That was it. little. Mm-hmm. He was very small. I five mean, his four? whole life. 5'4. That's four how tall I am. And 130 pounds. He weighs less than me. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> he was a little man. Yeah. He was beaten and raped by the boys. God bless and then America. Beaten and forced to do hard labor by the reform authorities. So it may have been this treatment that instilled in Donald a need to be dominant and install fear in others. You'll hear that as time went on, he needed to be, quote, the master and have complete control over his environment and the people in it. He tried to run away from the school three times, finally actually succeeding on the third time. He got a job in a traveling carnival and there met 13-year-old Mary, who he married, and they had a daughter. (laughs) He married Mary. He turned himself into the reform school so that he and his new family didn't have to stay on the run. So he took care of business. When he got out, he worked on a tobacco farm, and the tobacco farmer allowed him, his wife, and his daughter to live on the farm. He's like a, little, a jack of all trades. In a little man. house. Oh, yeah. He does it all. But again, Donald could not stay out of trouble. Hmm. So, make extra money, he got involved in insurance fraud. So, people would hire him, local tobacco farmers would hire him to burn down their barns for insurance money. Oh, my gosh. The people began to suspect him of being involved in the barn fires, and one of those people was his employee's daughter. As she questioned him about his involvement, Donald got spooked and hit the girl in the head with a hammer. Oh, a hammer now. Okay. He received five years in prison for assault with a deadly weapon and attempted murder. Again, he did not kill her. So he has not killed anybody at this point. Still doesn't make it right. Donald actually committed his first murder while in prison. So this round of prison. Oh, so he killed another inmate. Remember, he had learned in reform school that you had to be on top of the totem pole. Right. 
So shortly after being committed to prison, he killed a top rank inmate by slicing his throat while the man was on the toilet. Oh, he didn't even have a chance. He had his pants down. <laughs> I was just taking a poo and he just totally. Donald claims self-defense. I don't know. How? The stink. Was he getting pooed on? Like, did the stink, like, totally overtake him? The smell was getting to me. I had to kill him. Um, Oh, my gosh. I don't know how he got. But he got three years tacked on to his sentence. Just three years. But he had established himself as the, quote, power man. Made his life in prison a lot easier, And life in prison was doable after that. In 1955, Donald's wife, Mary, filed for divorce. Okay. He girl. totally freaked out and escaped from prison. Oh, gosh. On the run, though. So he well, couldn't have been too devastated about this because while he was on the run, he married another girl. <laughs> I think he was still married to Mary at this time. <laughs> the marriage only lasted about two weeks and then the girl disappeared. Oh, gosh. And again, she was very young. She was 13 or 14. And he's older now. Mm-hmm. He likes them yum. That's disgusting. Donald then met Betty Gates. She also worked in the carnival and started seeing her. It wasn't long before Betty asked Donald to help her brother escape from prison. Well, of course, he knew how to escape. He'd done it several times. How long has this been? He's been out and they haven't caught him? Nope, hadn't caught him yet. Oh, my God. So Donald helped this guy escape from prison. And as soon as the guy met up with Betty... Donald found out that it was actually Betty's husband, <laughs> not uh-huh. her brother. <laughs> Donald, I'm sure he was really happy about that. <laughs> Donald was caught. And when the authority found out that he was an escaped prisoner, he was sent back to prison with an extra nine months added to his time. Just nine months? <laughs> okay. He was released in 1961. And two years later, he raped a 12-year-old girl. <sighs> He went back to prison until 1968 when he was paroled. So far, I think you can see it's pretty obvious that Donald was full of anger, which seemed mostly directed towards women, Women. which is made apparent by his five, yes, five marriages. Oh, gosh. Two very young girls and his truly horrendous killing spree, which started in September 1969. It was at this point that he started feeling, quote, them aggravated and bothersome feelings. He said that he felt them from his groin, through his gut, and into his head. He fed into these feelings when he picked up a female hitchhiker. He flirted with her, and she proceeded to laugh at him, like, you're so small, there's no way I'm going to even, you know. Oh, no. She was laughing at him. This pissed him off, of course. He beat her unconscious, raped, sodomized, and tortured her. And this is the part that I'm not going to go into detail. And then dumped her into a swamp. Some sources said that she was still alive. Oh, my. Wow. Other sources, I mean, that she was dead. So I can't verify. This was the first of what he called his, quote, coastal kills. Donald would drive the coastal highway on the weekends, picking up hitchhikers in South Carolina, mostly females, but also males. He would rape and torture them, then kill them by shooting, strangling, stabbing, or suffocating them. My God, he's such a Jack of all trades, you said. (laughs) 
Yeah, jack of all trades for sure. He even mutilized and cannibalized some of them. Mutilized is a word. Yeah, like mutilated. <laughs> okay. I made it a word. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> mutilized. I don't, no, I don't a think grosser, it's a word. <laughs> grosser situation here. But it's I not a word, <laughs> but it should be because it sounds pretty good. <laughs> he mutilized them. <laughs> Listeners, you got a new word you learned. <laughs> oh, we learned something new. Drink up. <laughs> he mutilated and cannibalized some. Cannibalized okay. Word? I'm just going to gross you guys out. Okay, great. <laughs> His Can't victims wait. watched as he ate their flesh. Oh, mom. Okay. <sighs> Move on. He would then sink their remains in a swamp. Donald would later brag that he had murdered 80 to 90 people this way. What? But, you know, he killed them. If they did find their bodies, if they did, Mm -mm. the bodies were all killed in different ways. Yeah. So he'd never connect it to the same killer. But that's even if they found the bodies. And he's traveling. So it's not even around the same areas. Most of these they didn't even find. They obviously found a few because they know some of the names, but they... Jeez, Louise. <sighs> then we have what Donald called his, quote, serious murders. In this, these cases, he knew the victims and killed out of rage or profit. The other ones, his coastal kills, were just for pleasure. Sure. There was no sure. reason or rhyme for him. Just a leisurely weekend. Donald began his serious murders in November 1970 when he killed his 15-year-old niece, Janice, niece, Janice, <laughs> and her friend, Patricia. I'm not laughing at the case. I'm just like, I didn't realize that rhymed until I just said it. <laughs> when you read these out loud. He drove the girls to an abandoned farmhouse, raped, and beat them. God, then, I mean... It's one thing when it's strangers, and then when it's your family, uh, it just, okay. Oh, there's more horrible to come. Great. Then he drowned them in different places. One of his most horrific murders was actually a friend of his. 23-year-old Doreen Dempsey, a pregnant, unwed mother of a two-year-old daughter. She had asked him for a ride, but instead of taking her to the bus station as she requested... He took her and her daughter into the woods. He raped and killed both of them. Oh, my God. And then buried their bodies. This guy should rot in hell. I hope he's rotting in hell. Later, he was hired by Suzanne Kipper to kill her ex-boyfriend, Silas Yates. She paid Pee-wee $1,500, and Donald and three associates of Kipper, Diane Neely, John Prowl and John Owens made the plans. Neely coaxed Yates out of his home. Donald killed him, and then they buried him. Shortly after the event, Diane Neely and her boyfriend tried to blackmail Donald for $5,000 hush money. Wrong move. He said he'd pay, but instead killed both of them and buried them. Donald continued his killing and torturing spree. 13-year-old Kim... Lekins was a victim only because she resisted his sexual advances. Oh my gosh. Donald befriends an ex-con, Walter Neely, and confided in him. Told him everything. 
because they became good buddies. Neely became his assistant with burying remains, destroying evidence, and fencing stolen goods. He even brought Neely with him when he killed Dennis Belimey and Johnny Knight, who unfortunately chose the wrong place to steal from. Oh. I think that Donald at this time kind of had a garage or kind of worked at a garage. These guys broke in and stole from them. Oh. Wrong move on their part. Yeah. Donald doesn't mess around. He he just kills them up. Wrong person. He just kills them up. He kills them up. He doesn't mess (laughs) them up. He kills them up. God, we're not laughing at the situation. I guess we're just trying to make light of it a little bit. Then Neely helped bury the two bodies in Donald's private cemetery, (laughs) which is where he's burying all his victims now. This would later prove to be Donald's undoing. Police become suspicious of Neely and Gaskins and brought both in for questioning. Now, Gaskins can get out of anything. Clearly. He's a little squirrely dude. But Literally. Neely panics and he tells the police everything he knew, including where the bodies were buried. Good. Which some of the sources that I read, most of them, they were buried in Pee Wee's backyard. Well, that made it a lot easier for them to convict mm-hmm. him then. Oh, yeah. On May 28th, 1976, a court found Donald Pee Wee Gaskins guilty on eight counts of first degree murder. And that's from the bodies that they they dug up. Mm hmm. And sentenced him to death in the electric chair. Good. However. Oh, gosh. Shortly thereafter. He escapes? Nope. Okay. Shortly thereafter, the Supreme Court outlawed capital punishment. Oh, man. And Donald was sentenced to life. Oh, and it thunders again outside. (laughs) So creepy. Timing. (laughs) In 1978, the death penalty was restored. But this has no effect now. Yeah, I can't have any effect on on him, unfortunately. But keep this in mind, because in 1982, Donald was paid, now he's still in prison, was paid to kill another inmate, Rudolph Tyner. Donald first tried to poison him several times. Where's (laughs) he getting the poison from? It didn't work. He is a little squirrely dude. He (laughs) he knows how to do all, I don't know. So he decides that, well, poison didn't work. I'm just going to blow him up. Blow him up? Yeah. I had to read it several times, too. So what he did. Clearly, you go from one to the other. Point A to point B very easily. Gaskins rigged a device similar to a portable radio in Tyner's cell and told Tyner that this would allow Gaskins and Tyner to communicate between cells. But don't go be buddies. But don't show the guards, you know, to hide this. But pick it up at this and this time and we'll talk. (laughs) So. Tyner picks up the He's speaker. excited to talk to his friend. <laughs> picked up the speaker to talk to his buddy, Gaskins. The speaker was laden with C4 plastic explosives. And as he held the device to his ear, Gaskins detonated the explosives from his own cell. He killed him up. <laughs> he definitely killed up. He blew him up, Tyner. He later said that (laughs) the last thing Tyner heard was me laughing. Oh, that's sick. Now, Donald was tried and sentenced to death for the murder of Rudolph. So, in reality... Now he can get the death penalty. But listen to this. In reality, he's received life for killing eight that they knew of, or 13 innocent people. He gets 
death for killing an inmate who's in prison for killing an old couple. I'm sorry, but that's so messed up. Yeah. While on death row, Donald worked with author Wilton Earl on a book that I prefaced before, Mm -hmm. Final Truth, the autobiography of a serial killer. On the day of his scheduled electrocution, September 6, 1991, Donald slit his wrists. Trying to kill himself. In an attempt to delay his execution. My gosh. Weak, (laughs) scared little man. It didn't work. They just bandaged him up and sent him to the chair. Good. <laughs> Golly. He's like, mm, nope, we're not even going to sew you up. So we're just going to bandage you up. Donald claimed to have killed many more people, as many as 110. So we'll never know. Jeez. We do, however, know that he was a very sick man. Yes. My question, me being a sociology major and psych major, is was it nature or nurture? Hmm. This is a quote from Gaskins. Being born on a farm, I know the difference between raising something and just growing it. You raise tobacco and vegetables and pigs and sheep. They got purpose. You tend them. But weeds grown on their own, tended or not. I grew. I wasn't raised. That's for damn sure. That's what he said? Mm-hmm. That's deep. So I guess Pee Wee blames nurture. Well, yeah, he wasn't nurtured at all. He it was a, sound he like was it. maybe comparing himself to a weed. It makes me so mad though that he would blame anybody else but himself for all of that he did. He was a very lost disturbed lost soul. It just It's a lost weed. Like I said, I left out a lot of gruesome stuff just cuz you guys didn't need to have nightmares like I did. Mm. Thanks, mom. I'm drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Drink it down. Mine is gone. Okay. Well. One dark and stormy night. (laughs) (laughs) So since we are covering South Carolina, I thought it would be the perfect opportunity, especially because your story is so freaking spooky, to talk about my favorite city in South Carolina, Charleston. Uh, Isn't that where we we visited Charleston with you? Yes, exactly. We lived out that way for three years before kids, and we loved going out to Charleston to the beach the amazing food and being the history buff I am I loved all the cobblestone streets and the history that's out there the plantations the civil war history like Fort Sumter I mean all of it all of it I love Charleston so with all that history comes hauntings of course about five years ago mom my stepdad Tom and my little brother Michael came out to visit Alex and myself and we decided to go to Charleston for a weekend and what do you do when you're in Charleston wasn't that such a good trip mom it was it was was such a wonderful trip so it was was around November so it was a little chilly but of course we had to go to the beach I mean you cannot put me and my mom anywhere near a beach without walking on the beach without going to the beach (laughs) we have to go to the beach Alex and I took them out to eat at our favorite restaurants the obstinate daughter that's mm-hmm. on the beach there in Sullivan's Island, Pugin's Porch, which is in downtown Charleston. Oh my God, Mom, you ate so many Brussels sprouts on that trip. Do you remember <laughs> I know, that? Everywhere I went, everywhere we went, you're like, I'll have the Brussels sprouts. Like, Mom, so do you have a stomachache? Like you're such a weirdo. So, good. <laughs> so anyway, keep in mind who's in our little group. Okay, Mom and I, Tom, Alex, and Michael. 
Let's Michael, just call Michael, all the guys there skeptics. Michael's like, 16. Yeah, he was 16. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, very skeptical. They don't, believe, they don't believe in any haunted crap. So, so what do we of do? Of course, we decide to do a haunted walking tour of Charleston. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make them believers. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I wish I could shout the company out because I think they did a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. I'm really sorry I can't. I don't remember what company did our tour. Either. There's tons of different tours out there. I'm sorry to tell you we didn't see anything. <laughs> I'm sure they're all really great tours. Um, but wasn't it like close to midnight? It was like really late. It was late. I don't know if it was close to midnight, but it was late. So you, we walked around downtown Charleston in a group of like 15 people. Mm-hmm. It was called a ghost tour, but really I think it was more just like a spooky history walking tour. Yeah. We walked a lot. <laughs> I freaking loved it, though. Like all the old cemeteries and things that I've seen during the day. But it was kind of fun to hear all those little stories about the things at night and the fun stories of Edgar Allan Poe, yeah. which is so funny that we talked about him last week, too. And believe me, I was snapping pictures the whole way, just hoping to catch an orb, especially yes, at was. old cemeteries. Like, I know I'm going to catch yeah, something. I snap, snap, snap. I don't nope. remember the total story of Edgar Allan Poe, but... I remember he took us to like some cemetery with like really a really creepy like no it wasn't a cemetery it was like a garden Mm -hmm. and it was this really creepy iron gate and there was a bench in there that was said to be where that where Laura Lee yes he like loved somebody there and he was heartbroken there he wrote it there on that bench or something like that gosh I don't remember all the story but sounds like his heartache has led him to haunt Charleston as well as New York City. Honestly, the guys were probably just rolling their faces at us the whole entire time, (laughs) but we loved it. One story that really stuck with me from that tour, I looked into it a little bit more so I could share it with you all. Let's back up to the year 1820. Now, some of the legend has been proven true by historians of the area. And this is the story about the first female serial killer in the United States. All right. Lavinia Fisher. Historians argue if she had any part in the actual killings, but it is proved that she and her husband owned a hotel outside of Charleston called the Six Mile House. And some sources I read said that the pair worked with other men at another hotel called the Five Mile House. So Lavinia and her husband, John, owned this hotel six miles outside of Charleston. (laughs) Hence the name. And reports started coming in that their guests were disappearing. But nothing was done because this couple was pretty well liked in town. And Lavinia was known for her looks. Apparently, she had won a bunch of pageants. She was thought to be one of the most beautiful women in town. So she couldn't have done anything. Of course not. (laughs) But it is alleged that while treating their house guests to dinner, Lavinia would chat with the guests, discovering if they had any family, money, she would take them their evening tea with poison, of course. Once they drank the tea, John would kill them and they would take all their guests' money, clothes, everything. Goodness. Another version says that Lavinia would give them their poison tea, but as they fell asleep in their bed, she would pull a lever and they would drop into a room filled with spikes. Oh. Regardless of how Lavinia and her husband did this, they were part of a gang out there that was killing these travelers. So long story short, they were arrested. The two were housed together at Charleston's old city jail in a six by eight cell. They were here in the jail together for a year awaiting their trial. It is said they did try to escape. Of course. They made, so they're in this six by eight cell together. 
Oh. And they made a rope of bed linens. John got out. And while Lavinia was trying to escape, the rope broke. John didn't want to go on without her, though. He was recaptured Uh on purpose. On February 4th, 1820, the two were sentenced by the Constitutional Court to hang. Mm -hmm. Lavinia's request was to be hung in her wedding dress. Standing at the gallows in her wedding dress, Lavinia took the noose and placed it around her neck herself. When they asked if she had any last words, Lavinia yelled out to the crowd gathered at the Charleston gallows, If any of you have a message for the devil, tell me now for I shall be seeing him shortly. Oh. She then jumped off the stand herself. And I also read that she actually didn't die right away because she didn't, she put the noose on herself. She jumped herself. She, Nothing was done properly. She jumped herself. <laughs> Never mind. That makes sense. Probably. <laughs> but listen to it. You're just trying to catch me in messing up because you made up words in yours. Yeah, but that's a good word. <laughs> But she hung there for 15 minutes before she died. 15? Mm-hmm. Oh, how awful. What Within hours death. of her execution, inmates back at the old city jail, not knowing about the hanging, not knowing about the wedding dress or anything like that, started seeing a ghostly woman in a flowing white dress walking the cells of the jail. With that introduction, let's chat about the old city jail. I mean, even just driving by it, during the day it's just as just gives you a spooky vibe remember it's that. really yep. small um looks like a castle do you remember it that does. it looks mm-hmm. like a castle mm-hmm. the jail is located at 21 magazine street in downtown charleston the structure was built in 1802 and worked as a prison until 1939 during its time as a prison it housed everyone from pirates pow's from the civil war obviously lavinia and her husband john bootleggers and the jail yard uh, is where they kept slaves during the Civil War Goodness. before they were sold. Hangings also occurred in the jail yard as well. I mean, this place, it saw it all. If these walls could talk, I mean, mm, it I'm witnessed kidding. so much. There are these huge 19-foot walls around the perimeter. I mean, it literally looks like a little castle. During the Civil War, there were too many Union soldiers that they had captured. They literally just put them in the jail yard and made them live there under tents. Like, they, there wasn't enough room in the actual prison because wow. they had so many POWs. Ghost Adventures went there, of course. <laughs> and the guy giving Zach the tour, his name was Calhoun, but he went by Hoon. He worked for Bulldog Tours. And he said that in old diaries of prisoners, the main thing they read about was how dirty the jail was. I can't imagine. Not only are they very limited of fresh water, they complained of a lot of maggots in their food. <laughs> and it is said, as the guards walked the rows between the small three-by-three three cells, you would hear a constant crunch underneath their boots from all the lice eggs on the ground. Oh, my God. Instantly, my head is itching. Three-by-three three cells? Yes. They can even lay down. I know. So prisoners didn't only die of execution, but many died of disease from this jail as well. Now, the same guy. No wonder she jumped off. She didn't want to go back. So this guy, Hoon, claimed that research from the Library of Congress states that over the 140 years of its operation as a prison, 14,000 people died within these walls. What? Think about that. 14,000 people 
after it was a jail, it sat abandoned and used as a storage area for Charleston for about 40 years. It was a museum for a while, starting in 1970. But then in 1990s, the city sold it to the American College of the Building Arts. So it is used to the students as kind of like a learning tool. The building materials of the jail include everything from steel, stone, wood. So it's used to teach the students of the building arts. Many ghost hunters love to investigate the jail as well. Bulldog Tours does the tours inside of the jail. They have daytime tours, evening tours, but they're the only ones that actually do the tours of the jail. Tons of ghost shows have been there, of course. Ghost adventures. Zach was especially excited to come into contact with Lavinia, stating that he was, quote, known to attract psychotic evil women. (laughs) (laughs) My God, this guy. So they're walking around with the spirit box, Mm -hmm. which is this paranormal equipment that, like, in case you don't know, it sweeps over, like, a ton of radio stations. It basically sounds like white noise, and the spirits can use it to manipulate the radio waves to speak. You can hear words kind of pop out. Mm -hmm. And, okay, it was really creepy. Zach asks, Lavinia, when you were on the gallows, You said if any of you have a message for the, and he pauses and waits, clear as frickin' day, the spirit box says, the devil, in a female voice. (gasps) So creepy. Several paranormal investigations witness footsteps, tapping noises, light anomalies, and during someone's ghost tour I watched on YouTube, there were tons of crashing noises coming from a room and they go in and there's nothing even in the room what like i mentioned the jail is owned by the school i mean it literally looks like a dungeon in there i would not want a dead school in there (laughs) a professor who worked there hated locking up a certain room he'd actually been pushed a few times by an unseen force oh my gosh didn't really tell anybody about it because he's like oh i'm closing it up it's late like i don't know and it was only when he was alone in that room Mm mm-hmm One day he was chatting with a tour guide from Bulldog Tours because they're the only ones that share the building, the school and then Bulldog Tours. Mm -hmm. So he mentions how I just don't like that room. And the tour guide just casually says, oh, yeah, because that's the room people get pushed in. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. The professor's like, oh, my God. (laughs) I'm out of here. So Hoon from Ghost Adventures said he was finishing a tour and he was walking out. And he felt like he could see someone up in the what should have been like the empty jailer's quarters. And he was like, oh, somebody shouldn't be there. And he's kind of looking up to see if it is somebody, you know, what it is. He was looking up into the the window. It's like glass there that you can see through. Right. And he realized, oh, there's nobody in there. He realized it wasn't in there. But the figure was standing right behind him. (laughs) So it was a reflection? Yeah, it was a reflection showing somebody standing behind him. Oh, my gosh. The jail has a really heavy feeling in it. I've not been in it. Like I said, I just did a tour around it and like was part of a tour we went on, but I never been in it. Mm -hmm. And I'm really beating myself up that I didn't. (laughs) Some say it's almost feels like you're being circled by someone or something. Kind of picture like a shark circling a cage in the water. Eric Lavender of Bulldog Tours, I'm going to end with his quote. Okay. The last prisoner might be gone, but this prison is not empty. 
<laughs> and he probably said that quote in different phrasing like five or six times on, on Ghost Adventures. <laughs> That's his quote and he's sticking to it. <laughs> so, over and over again. Yeah. Now the park that we met at for the ghost tour yes supposedly that's where the gallows were yes i because i that's what struck me with the lavinia fisher story because we Mm -hmm. did hear about that on the tour we did as a matter of fact my husband who is the biggest skeptic i mean he does not mm -mm, this Mm -mm. is stupid as as far as he's concerned ghost things are (laughs) but (laughs) out of that tour he remembers all the history and he was the one who remembered do you remember him bringing that up just recently actually Uh he brought it up recently and he remembered every detail that she was hung in her wedding in her wedding dress all this stuff and i know i swear i didn't remember any of that story stuck with him too (laughs) ghosts or no ghosts there were no ghosts we didn't see anything even in my pictures had a hook on him but well she was attractive yeah there you go Well, South Carolina. There we go. Thank goodness we had the sweet tea. Oh, that made it ten times better. (laughs) Ten times sweeter. Okay. I'm done with my jokes. (laughs) So next week, the true crime story I'm covering covers three states. Yep. Texas, Colorado, and Nevada. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, we appreciate you guys so much. Yes, and again, if you enjoy listening, please give us a review. Um, just take a little time to just leave a rating and a review. That really helps us out on yeah, the charts. Just and five words even, but yeah. it pops us up higher and higher on with iTunes. every review Yes, on the podcast sites. We so. really appreciate that. You can email us your stories or pictures or anything personal or just Hey girls, what's up? At killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram where every week I post pictures from this week's episode and updates on any cases we've already covered. Yep. And I'm really happy that I finally got to share Pee Wee and now I can move on. Oh, yes. I'm sure. All right, Mama. This is fun. We're clinking empty glasses. Mm. (laughs) Cheers, Mama. Love you, kid.